Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2020. This is Ruben talking about step one. My name's Ruben, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, pretty nervous and excited to be here. Just came up with some friends from my home group in Sydney and was um, kind of hit with the message to ask to do this thing while I was in the middle of like this, making this immense week down in, down in my hometown and it was pretty exciting and nerve-wracking, so I guess I'll just stand up and be honest and, and share my experience with this work and with this book. And um, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and that my life had become unmanageable. I got into Alcoholics Anonymous for the first time about two months before my 18th birthday, off the back of facing homelessness and spending about 18 months living in a backpack as taking drugs and drinking around the clock. So I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, looked at the banner, said, yep, tick that off the list. Didn't really understand what it meant. Didn't understand that powerless over alcohol means I lack power, choice or control over alcohol. And as a result of uh, what I like to call step zero, which is just kind of hanging around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, doing a lot of meetings, trying to sound really, really well and spiralling this drain of unmanageability where I'm using others to feel good, and the cracks in my armour of just untreated alcoholism flowing into every area of my life, it kind of came to a point where I was going to do the 12 steps or I was going to drink again. And that's not an option that I have. As an alcoholic, I'll always drink again. And my experience over the years abundantly confirms this. So you know, obviously the, the first defining factor that makes me an alcoholic, we talk about on, on page 23, I think, the physical, you know, the first doctor's opinion up to page 23, talking about this physical this physical allergy that I have, that once I take any into my system at all, I don't know what's going to happen. Because I can honestly, I can't stand here and say every time I have ever had a drink, I've gone on to a thousand year bender and like lost, lost my whole life and everything's gone horribly unmanageable. But the times that I did shoot off for one beer, plan to have one beer and turn into a three day bender, and the times that I didn't, I was not making that choice. And I've got time after time of experience that abundantly confirms this. Like one of my last drinks was an incredibly manageable night out with my partner of four years where we're going to go to a fine dining restaurant, have a couple of drinks, have eight courses, it's going to be really nice. Have my two glasses of wine, go home together in a cab. She falls asleep, I climb out the side window and I'm back out to King's Cross. This, that wasn't the plan. The plan was two glasses of wine and I'm off for a quiet one. I get into bed, she falls asleep, I'm out the window and here we go, out to 5am in the morning, drinking straight vodka, crying and gambling my tax return. Here's, here's Ruben, the, the, the real alcoholic on page 23. And uh, so there's the physical craving down to a T. All, all moments where I've absolutely planned to have two, an important engagement was to be kept, like a job interview, a job trial any number of big things that I place a lot of importance on and genuinely did not want to be pissed for. I have one beer and all bets are off. Sometimes I can have the one or two and they're the times that I love to remember and hold on to and that my disease will absolutely... When I think about my drink, he goes, no, no, remember all the times you had two or three and you were fine? I don't remember the hundreds of examples that come to mind where I plan to have one or two and I end up on a one or two day thing where I just turn my phone off, my long-term partner doesn't hear from me or, or know where I am or, you know, we've got dinner plans for 6pm, I just turn my phone off and I rock up at 4am drunk and vomited all over myself and she's got to shower me off and clean me off again. 
Which kind of brings me up to the next point of this, uh, this illness that I face of if I am pretty clear, which I was for a pretty long time about the consequences of my drinking being an absolute, absolute shitstorm, like an absolute terrible Reuben drinking equals a bad time. When I take any at all, I'm not too sure what's going to happen. The consequences of my drinking got me to a point where I'm like, fuck, I cannot drink anymore. I can't do this. I'm losing the job. I'm losing the relationship. I've moved to Sydney from a small town called Kiama in 2017 for the sole purpose of recognition and wanting to be the best chef that Sydney ever saw. <laughs> and and, uh, and these great, grandiose ideas that I'm going to be the face of Sydney Fine Dining and I'm going to make it as a chef and, and all these ideas. And that like dream and aspiration and goals that I set, and being a very determined person, I absolutely did not want to drink my way out of those situations. But my, my experience is that regardless of how much I have to lose and the consequences that my drinking will face, like losing my partner, losing another job, losing another friendship group, you know, physically pushing my mother outside of the backpacker's doors where I was living, saying, I don't want to see you get out of my life. All the horrible shit that my drinking takes me to will not prevent me from picking up my next drink. I know every, I'm sure everyone in this room is familiar with the, uh, you know, the italicized part of page 24. But the, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reason yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. At certain times, I am unable to bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the memory, or the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And I read that and I was like, yeah, 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 sure, that's me, that's fine. But then I look over, the, uh, I look over my experience of, hang on a minute, have I had some really, really, really good reasons not to drink and drank anyway? Or have I had some amazingly clear examples of if I drink, I'm going to lose my job. If I drink, I'm going to lose this partner and drank anyway. And I went through this stage of working in this restaurant in the city and uh, paralyzed by fear, completely obsessed with what I think everyone else thinks of me and absolutely just horribly uncomfortable. And, uh, and my experience with that was I experienced enough uncomfortability and enough pain and enough just untreated alcoholism, and I always go back to drinking, often with no good reason. And I, I plan not to drink. My plan is to, you know, go home, go home, spend time with my girlfriend, and be a loving partner. And somewhere between the restaurant I worked at and the train station, without fail, every night was some pub on the corner. And then I shoot in for one. I'm an alcoholic, allergic to alcohol. That one very quickly turns into another night of me rocking up at 5 a.m. covered in vomit. Now, I've, I've, got, I've got experience with non-alcoholics like family members that share, they've shared their experience with me about getting drunk. Like my stepdad, he, um, he has experience of demoralising, embarrassing shit happening as a result of being drunk. Normal, the normies do, the moderate drinkers do, the hard drinkers do. Sometimes they take it a bit too far, get a little bit unmanageable, do some embarrassing shit. That's his experience, and he shared that with me. And his memory of the embarrassing things that he's done has stopped him from taking it that far. Or even my mum, my as a non-alcoholic, had experience of, 
horrible horrible unmanageability as a result of drinking, what that looked like. What that looked like for her was just blacking out every time she drank. So she went, that's it, I can't drink, it's not safe, and has proceeded not to have a drink for like 35 years, <laughs> off the back of memory. Now, I've got a lot of memories of what happens when I drink. When I drink, I wake up at 4am in King's Cross, covered in my own vomit, people walking past, and I'm that guy. Or I, you know piss and defecate myself in nightclubs on, on, a, on a dance floor and dragged out by my shoulders by security and left on the, you know, left on the, the sidewalk to just have hundreds of people lined up looking at me going, man, I'm glad I'm not that guy. Well, I sit there literally pissing my pants and vomit all over me just going, how did I get here? How did I get here? How am I 20 years old and every time I drink, I don't know what's going to happen and half the time that I do drink, I'm the the guy that looks like a homeless guy laying in the gutter, completely unwell. The next morning, so absolutely baffled of how did it happen again? I cannot do this anymore. That, that suffering and humiliation, that incomprehensible demoralization that the alcoholic experiences, what that looks like is just everyone looking down on me, going, just, what are you doing? Just stop taking the first one, just stop drinking. I got to Alcoholics Anonymous at around 18 years old and I heard, no matter what, we don't pick up the first drink. And I heard, all right, great, now I've got a game plan. No matter what, I'm not going to pick up the first drink. And then a time came at certain times, being the real, alco real alcoholic described on that page, 23 or 22 or whatever it is, the idea sprouts. Like I think, honestly, a great mental defence against my next drink would be memory of my last drink. Like, the memory of what happens when I drink would be a fantastic defence against my next one. But my experience abundantly confirms no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much pain, suffering, humiliation, loss of relationship, loss of job, circumstance will not prevent me from drinking again. Things get good, the outside looks shiny, I get the girl back, the job back, I start sounding good in AA meetings, you know, go to the dentist, get my teeth cleaned, and suddenly I feel like, oh, things are good now. And then I pick up my next drink. Now that, uh, that's when I, there's a small part that I want to read. It's from uh, talking about the part in Carl Jung when he's describing to Roland Hazard about this, this disease of alcoholism. And uh, when he got it from his head to his heart, when you fundamentally understand what this, what this deal is we have, this lack of power-based disease that every single one of us, providing you're the real alcoholic, is going to drink again without a loving power protecting you from your next one. Top of page 28, it says, we in turn, so after he's described this, this problem that he's in, he's described, you've got the best psychiatrist in the world telling you, honestly, in my, in my personal belief, you are absolutely screwed, you're going to drink again, you lack hope, you lack power, and the only possibility you have for success is a bodyguard to keep you under lock and key. So once you've got the best psychiatrist in the world telling you that, this is in the 1930s and somehow I still relate to this, we in turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. What seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. So it's not, like I'm not even going to look at the following 11 steps with half the zealous or desperation that I need to and I fundamentally understand that I'm in a trap that I can't spring. And... Uh, 
I suppose being a young member of Alcoholics Anonymous, I get in here and I just want to look at all the differences and all the ways that I'm not like you and every area of difference going, man, I'm only 24 years old. I haven't lost the wife, the caravan and the kids. I didn't have the wife, the caravan and the kids to lose. (laughs) But my experience is, you know, when I take any alcohol at all, I don't know what's going to happen. When I'm completely sober, I don't know when my next drink's going to be. And I, in turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. Like, I... I don't think I could have been convinced to get interested in the steps, sponsorship, big book, the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, without my experience of untreated alcoholism sober. Like, I'm so genuinely impressed and excited for newcomers when they get in there go, I'm in a 12-step fellowship, I'll do the 12 steps. That's not how my head works. I'm in a 12-step fellowship, I'm just here to attend. I don't need all this stuff up here. I don't really want to participate in that. I'm just here to stop drinking. I don't need this spiritual experience that you guys keep talking about. Which brings me to the next part of this illness, in my understanding, this spiritual malady, this, uh, this hole in the soul, as it's called. You know, in, in doctor's opinion, it references these, these alcoholic types will be restless, irritable and discontent unless they again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks. So my experience as a sober person without power in my life is restless, irritable and discontent. And that's like a cool thing you hear at meetings and you go, ooh, that's good, that's bad. <laughs> like, oh, that sounds not good. But what that actually looks like in my own life through experience, is just floating around, never being in the right place, nothing ever being good enough, and seeking an external solution to an internal condition. I had about nine jobs as a chef since I moved to Sydney. I worked as a chef for about 18 months. That's around two months a job. Like, <laughs> I want, And I moved there to be... I don't know if I've done something there. Uh, I moved there to be the best chef that Sydney ever saw. And, um, and I always think it's the next job that's going to fix me. And no matter where I go, people just don't treat me right. They just don't really live up to my expectations. If they understood how special I was, they might not be so quick to judge me and give me constructive criticism. They could just, uh, they could just let me know, Ruben, you're you're a really special guy, and you're the you're the chosen one. You're the chef we've been waiting for. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I float from, jeez, oh, I float from job to job, relationship to relationship, home group to home group, searching for people to fix me and circumstance to fix me. And no matter what my outside life looks like, nothing is good enough because nothing is fixing this internal condition, this spiritual malady that I suffer from. And it's been explained to me that these are kind of like symptoms of a spiritual malady. It's not the malady, but it's like this is what comes out as a a result of this spiritual disease I have. And if I got here and you told me that I had a spiritual disease and I need God, I'd tell you to piss off. But it's not until I understand the first two parts of this condition that I... uh, that I get pretty open to, you know, we had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply it to our human problems, the same red- readiness to change our point of view. So I've changed my point of view about the mental obsession and the physical allergy, and now the book's asking me 
why don't I apply, you know, why don't I change my point of view to this problem as well? We're having problems, we're having trouble with personal relationships. We can't control our emotional natures. We're a prey to misery and depression. We can't make a living. And we have a feeling of uselessness and we are full of fear. I was unhappy and I couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. This is my condition sober. So I get into Alcoholics Anonymous, I sober up for a couple of months and suddenly I am feeling different, alone and afraid, restless, irritable and discontent. And new people are all looking happy and clappy and smiley and having a good time. And I just think, why isn't, working, why isn't this working for me? Because I've spent my whole life trying to fit in and trying to solve these problems. Like this whole page 52, I read that. I thought, oh, how does this stockbroker know about this? How does he know that this problem, this, how does he know about, how does this stockbroker know what sort of internal condition I experience on a daily basis and have done since I was about five years old, just like trying to fit in and trying to be accepted and wanting to be liked? And not just like wanting to be liked, but almost needing to be worshipped just to feel okay. And I really love that in these meetings we talk about unmanageability as a past tense, like, oh, it was back then. But no, still today, in moments, <laughs> in moments of my life, you know, I can ask some from friends up the front there that I've, I've got, I'm texting them saying, I didn't get the award at work. Work is a very, I didn't get the award at work and I should have, they should know better. And it's like, I'm a year sober. <laughs> it's just like, um, uh, it's, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I suppose, overall, that's pretty much my experience of step one. As a bit of a bit of a thank you, a recap of once I take any alcohol at all into my system, I don't know what's going to happen. When I'm completely sober with no good reason to drink again, at a certain point in time I'm going to drink again. And while sober, I feel completely disconnected from this world. Just different, alone and afraid. And I get into Alcoholics Anonymous and that doesn't, you know, I love meetings. I really love meetings. I do like five or six a week. I'm a big fan. But they're like a they're like a band-aid on an open wound to this spiritual malady. I get acceptance and I feel a part of and I have a good time for the hour and a half that I'm with you people. And then I go home and I'm with this head. This head that says, You're you're different. They don't really like you. They feel sorry for you. You're not a real alcoholic. You haven't done enough drinking to belong there. They all think that you know, you really have to lose a few more things before you've earned your place here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've just got this head that will separate me from anyone. Even a room full of alcoholics nodding and smiling and identifying. And it's a really, uh, I guess, having that understanding that I'm in a trap that I can't spring really opens the door to the rest of the steps. And it's I'm going to be honest, and this is my only my experience, I'm not going to seek a solution to a problem that I don't know I have. And I think doing the steps by yourself, in your head, off the wall, is probably not the best way to go about having a step one experience. Um, I'll leave it there. Thanks so much for asking me to share. Information about the Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available at Steps Weekend. Group. Org. Au.